Hey, before we get to the Poundstone Institute, we want to tell you to start your day tomorrow with Up First, the morning news podcast from NPR. Apple podcast reviewer Eve Bethel calls it concise and comprehensive. She says, I listen to Up First every morning on my walk to work. It gives me a great summary of the top news stories to keep my eye on during the day and the upcoming week. Wake up with Up First tomorrow morning on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, uh, Paula, I've got a new study here. You have a study? Yeah, I've got a study here you might be interested in. A new study finds that for every day you drink coffee, nine minutes are added to the end of your life. Wow. To the end of your life. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any way of stretching out the middle? Yeah, I guess you're right. That's not where you'd want it, is yeah, it? No. Yeah, no. Y- yeah, once uh-huh. I'm at the end, I'd like to go quickly. <laughs> I don't want some nurse coming by and saying, you drank a lot of coffee. Didn't you? But you know what? I'll tell you, there's a town in Pennsylvania, I believe it is, where they found people that lived for really, really, really a long time. Uh, when the medical world found out about this town, um, they investigated and, you know, they kept trying to think, did they walk more? Was it on a hill? Was it, you know, where, did they eat good? What was it about this town that gave them such longevity? And you know what they finally settled on? They, what? They stopped by and visited one another. What? They stopped by and visited one another. And this, it may have been that they were having a cuppa. That's probably what it was. <laughs> Right? It's not just that you're drinking coffee, but the circumstances under which you... Like, if you're drinking coffee in front of an oncoming bus, there is no way. Yeah. Yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel invincible. No. Actually, apparently, you should not feel invincible at all, because no matter how much coffee you drink, it, it'll only total up to a three-month total life extension. Oh. Well, that, yeah, that gives you some wiggle room, but... Yeah. <laughs> You could yeah. binge watch maybe two things. Yeah, binge watch. That's probably not adding to our longevity anyways. Because yeah, yeah, that's got a couch potato-y feel to it. Although I watch Breaking Bad on while I walk on my treadmill. So that makes it a healthy thing. How far along are you? Um, first half of season one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's not binging. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hate to walk. <laughs> From NPR, it's live from the Poundstone Institute, where we hit the books, and the books hit back. On today's show, day shall turn to night, and all of America will be cast in shadow. No, that's not the first line of Donald Trump's State of the Union. We're talking today about the big solar eclipse. And how do you know a boy turtle from a girl turtle? We talked to a scientist who figured it out. Warning, this segment may be NSFR, not safe for reptiles. Plus. Pete Docter, the director behind the Pixar films Inside Out and Up, joins us to take our personality test to find out what kind of pharmaceutical drug he'd be. I'm Chief of Research Adam Felber, and now, here's your host, the director of the Poundstone Institute, Paula Poundstone! Thank you. Welcome, everybody, to the Poundstone Institute, where people who got straight A's come to meet the rest of the alphabet. (laughs) All right, Adam, where does our journey to all the world's knowledge begin today? Well, our first stop today is turtle sex. That's right. I mean gender here. Let me ask you this, Paula. How do you think you tell the difference between a male and a female turtle? 
I assume you turn it over. All right. And then you ask it. I don't know how to tell the difference. Well, it turns out that it's really hard for anyone to tell the difference between male and female turtles. But that might finally be changing. Oh, thank goodness. Yes, Donald McKnight is a PhD candidate and turtle researcher at James Cook University in Australia, and he has figured out a way to reliably test turtle sex. Don, welcome to the Poundstone Institute. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Don, is it really that hard to tell the sex of a turtle? It, uh, Paula suggested turning it upside down. Does, does that not do it? <laughs> well, it really depends which species you're talking about. Um, most species are actually pretty easy to tell, and even turning them upside down is useful for some of them um, because of the shape of the bottom part of the shell. But for other turtles, it is really quite difficult, uh, which is why we uh, developed this method. Okay, you developed a breakthrough method to sex turtles, as it were, that wildlife biologists are very excited about. How does it work? So in its simplest form, the idea is you take a vibrator and you apply it to a turtle. And if the turtle is a male, this should give it an erection. And if it's a female, it doesn't actually do a whole lot of anything. So basically, you're just looking for whether or not you can get an erection out of the turtle. Boy, that is different from our species. <laughs> now, uh, this is a question I, I've been hesitant to ask. What? exactly do you do with that vibrator? <laughs> right. So for most of the species, generally, you want the vibrator to actually be touching the tail. Uh, but typically, when you first start vibrating a turtle, they won't let you keep the vibrator there. They'll kind of tuck the tail right up against the body. Uh -huh. So you kind of have to start on other parts of the body first to, to get the turtle in the right mood, as you would. Right. Let me ask you this, Don. Is there Tinder for turtles? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet that I know of. So how did you discover this? You were just, you were in the swamp one day and happened <laughs> to have a vibrator in your pocket. <laughs> so uh, we were working with a species that we were really having trouble telling males and females apart. So we started looking for a non-invasive way to, to differentiate the sexes. And we came across a paper from a couple years ago um, where researchers had used a vibrator to get male turtles to ejaculate. And so we just kind of took it to the next logical step. Or the previous logical step. <laughs> Depending on how you look at it, yes. Now, on a more personal level, Don, do, do you, when you're doing this, does it feel kind of ridiculous? Um, yeah, uh, when we were doing this study, you know, it's a group of us highly educated individuals standing out in the swamp in the middle of nowhere, like up to our waist in mud and water, vibrating a turtle. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it was, it was rather ridiculous. That's a dream come true right there. <laughs> I used to want to be a bear in the Disney World Parade, but it never occurred to me to have this dream. Mama, I want to go to the swamp, but I want to vibrate turtles. That's what I want to do, Mama. That's what I want. You and Daddy can't stop me. I want to vibrate turtles in the swamp, Mama. Why, you'll be up to your waist in mud. It doesn't matter to me, Mama. It's the only way to find the turtles. <laughs> Hey, uh, Don, uh, how did you expense those vibrators? Um, like, how did you, you, char what? you charged it to your lab, right? Yeah, so we did have to put a purchase order into the university, um, and that did result in a call uh, from our department secretary. No, um, really? Who, who wanted to know um, why our funding was going towards purchasing vibrators. So we had to explain to her what our research was. You had and, to quickly make up this turtle thing. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. 
You guys sure did think fast. Uh, Don, uh, what do you think? Uh, um, are there a lot of turtles that might reveal their sex uh, um, with a dominatrix? <laughs> um, maybe. So we thought about that, actually, with kind of some of the... Well, so... <laughs> Don, I was trying to think of something outlandish. <laughs> well, well, so we thought about trying to, like, put males in a tank with a female. Yeah. And see if that would kind of, you know, get them in the right mood before we, before we tried to vibrate them. Yeah. Um, but we never really got quite that far with the study. Well, Don, this is a fascinating discovery that'll be of great use to scientists around the world. And learning about it has made me happier than a turtle having its genitals tested. <laughs> Donald McKnight is a PhD candidate at James Cook University in Australia. Don, thank you so much for joining us at the Poundstone Institute. Thank you for having me. Did anybody here have a turtle when you were a kid? Yeah. Oh, this side of the room, that's how we seated you tonight. <laughs> turtle people, non-turtle people. And did you know its gender? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm comforted that you didn't have a vibrator. I had a turtle. Did you have a turtle? Yeah, we, uh, but very, very briefly, we found a turtle in the road. We saved it. We took it home. We put it in a little terrarium. Then we found out it was an American box turtle, which is an endangered species, and we weren't allowed to keep it. And I swear to God, we set it free in a meadow and tearfully wished it goodbye for 20 minutes. <laughs> because they just don't move fast. <laughs> I caught a rat once in a, uh, what's it called, uh, humane trap. And once you do that, you realize, I have a rat now. <laughs> Don't ever tell anybody this. I took it to Brentwood and let it go. Institute, we don't just talk about other people's studies, we also conduct our own, which is why some of you are seeing the real show today, and another group is watching a placebo Poundstone Institute. <laughs> We're also conducting a survey here at the Institute. Today's question, do you doodle, and if so, what's your go-to doodle? You a doodler, Poundstone? I, I am a doodler. What's your go-to? Usually I do really tall chickens. <laughs> tall? Yeah, I just make long legs on them. Legs, so it's not like they have big necks or anything. No, they're mostly chicken-like up top, but they have really long legs. That seems impractical. Yeah, well, they're not real. <laughs> yeah, but it, I I'm mean, just I would just picture a lot of broken eggs. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I did, you know what, on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me one time, we had a study that said that you could draw a food and feel full from drawing the food. Really? Yeah. Have you ever heard of that before, the thing about drawing the food? Anybody? Yeah. Well, apparently it was a very secret study. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like it could have a lot of practical applications and things like dieting and stuff. Yeah. I could just draw ring dings. Yeah. Uh, instead of just salivating all day. I'm going to draw a ring ding right now and see what that does. No, you know what? Yeah. That's yeah. a ding dong. Oh, and I hate ding dongs. That's yeah. why I don't feel yeah. full. Ding dongs are the hostess version of the excellent... Drake's product, ring dings. Uh, and they're very hard to tell apart. You need a vibrator. <laughs> well, on that note, our crack research team is in back right now tabulating the results, figuring out what percentage of you all doodle and exactly what freaky things you put down on paper. You should be ashamed of yourselves. And we will have those results for you before the end of the show. Also, coming up, the director of Pixar's Inside Out, 
and also up, Pete Doctor stops by to take our personality test. Hey, Paula, we need to raise some money. The Institute's football team is still losing by lopsided scores, and we suspect it's because we can only afford one goalpost. Who do we need to thank? We want to thank ZipRecruiter. If you're looking for top talent with ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Let ZipRecruiter's powerful technology match your job to the right candidates and use their simple dashboard to find the right hire. That's why 80% of jobs on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just one day. In fact, some of the qualified ZipRecruiter candidates come right in through the workplace window on a zipline. Try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Poundstone. We also want to give a shout out to Google Cloud Platform. Hey, are you looking to move to the cloud? If so, you'll either need a friend with a really light truck or you'll need Google Cloud Platform. Google Cloud Platform provides security that scales with your business and keeps your data safe no matter how fast you grow. Built on more than 15 years of experience focused on keeping customers safe on Google applications like Gmail, Search, and other apps. With Google Cloud Platform, your applications and data take advantage of the same security model. To learn more about Google Cloud Platform, visit cloud.google.com. Okay, Adam, let's continue our unending search for knowledge. Where does our next deep dive into the pond of wisdom take us? Well, it's time for us to learn about the big solar eclipse. As you know, a total solar eclipse is crossing the United States in just a few days. We'd like to learn everything we can really quick so we can avoid having to make a virgin sacrifice or something. David Barron is an eclipse chaser and author of the new book, American Eclipse. David, welcome to the Poundstone Institute. Thank you, Adam. Hey, David. Hello, Paula. Okay, David, so you've traveled the world to see eclipses. Um, tell us some of the lengths you've gone to just to see a good eclipse. Well, so when you say a good eclipse, oh, what I'm talking about are total solar eclipses. They only occur about once every 18 months somewhere on the planet, and it's usually someplace very hard to get to. So back in 2015, the total solar eclipse that year passed only the Faroe Islands up near Iceland and Svalbard off of Norway in the Arctic. So I went to the Faroe Islands at the end of March, uh, where it's notoriously stormy to enjoy all of a couple minutes of darkness. Wow. Do you have Venetian blinds at home? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that would do it too. Yeah, you can just turn those babies down. <laughs> and, uh, and, so, and so you did, what, how, after, how, it was just like three minutes? The thing about a total solar eclipse is that you actually see a sky that you can see at no other time. You're looking toward the center of the solar system, and the, and the sun, during those two or three minutes, it's the most beautiful thing you've seen in the sky. You'll see this. It looks like a wreath of tinsel that's just shimmering in outer space, and that's the sun's outer atmosphere. Now, let me, let me ask you, uh, you, you are far from the only eclipse chaser out there. It's kind of a little subculture. How do people react when you all get together and see an eclipse? What's, what's the general reaction? Oh, people just uh, are beside themselves. People cry, people shout. Um, I have uh, sometimes find myself just uncontrollably jumping up and down. It's just overwhelmingly emotional. And have you ever had anybody not have that kind of reaction? <laughs> Well, actually, in the Faroe Islands, just before the total eclipse started, some guy pulls up in his car. He gets out, 
and he's talking on his cell phone. Now, he's speaking Faroese or Danish, I don't know which, but it sounded like he was talking to his spouse about like what he should pick up at the supermarket, and he was just having this conversation while the most spectacular sight in the, in the heavens is occurring above us. Uh, so that kind of irked me a bit. Did you say anything to him? Well, I don't speak Faroese, so I wouldn't have known what to say. Faroese. It sounds like that's what, that's what cats who've never lived indoors speak. <laughs> that's Faroese. Oh, it's the Faroe Islands. Fair, yeah, Faroe. Oh, not, my mistake. Yeah, not Faroe. Oh, I feel like an idiot. No, you're not. <laughs> Jeez, no, because I was speaking the wrong thing when I was in the Faroe Islands. Oh. <laughs> Here I am meowing. Oh, yeah, they don't. Uh, see, I remember. I was and I thought for sure I was communicating. <laughs> oh, okay, so uh, let, let's move on, David. Um, nowadays, we understand the science of eclipses, and it's kind of fun, and it's an interesting cultural event, but it has not always been that way, right? Tell us a little bit about the way people reacted before they understood what was happening. Oh, yeah. Well, so in, in China, in ancient times, they believed it was a dragon devouring the sun. And so people would go out and, and uh, bang pots and pans and their gongs to try to drive the dragon off. In medieval times in Europe, it was seen as an, a bad omen for the king. And in fact, the, the Holy Roman Emperor Louis the Pious, uh, there was a total eclipse that went over France, and he got so unnerved that it was bad news for him that it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. He stopped eating, he got so nervous, and he died a month later, and it plunged uh, Europe into civil war. So total eclipses have actually changed history. Wow. I, I have a good idea about Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's very interesting that you bring that up. And David, I want to bring you in on this. 92% of the U.S. counties that in the so-called path of totality for this eclipse, 92% of those counties voted for Donald Trump. Any, thought, any thoughts on the fact that the people who voted for Donald Trump will be cast into darkness and they will turn into night? Any? Well, I have to say, they are the lucky ones. I would be so grateful to have a total solar eclipse go over my house. The next one that will pass over my house in Boulder, Colorado, will be July 22nd of, in the year 2772. Suck down that coffee! <laughs> <laughs> All right, David, one more thing. What about, what about um, animals? How do, they, do they react differently to eclipses? Oh, well, so birds certainly do. You'll see, I mean, in the, the few minutes before a total eclipse starts, when the sun really starts to go away, birds will be flocking like they would at dusk. Chickens will go home to roost. Sometimes birds will start chattering, and sometimes they'll stop chattering. I suppose it all depends on what the species is. It also probably depends on how many times they've seen a total eclipse before. <laughs> For those who've seen it a lot, they just talk through the whole thing. On their little cell phones. Yeah, they just keep tweeting. Uh. Oh, come on. You know what? If I didn't say it, it was going to bother me all night long. Well, David, this has been just fascinating. And as someone who burns very easily, I'm so glad to know that there are at least four minutes next week I can get away with not wearing sunscreen. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Paula. Thank you, Adam. David Barron is a science writer and author of the book American Eclipse. David, thank you so much for joining us at the Poundstone Institute. Oh, is anybody going to see the eclipse? Yes. Yes. Oh, a, huh? a definitive voice in the back. Uh, where will you be seeing it? Either in uh, eastern Wyoming or western Nebraska, depending on, on where the uh, clouds are the least likely to be. Have you seen one before? 
Never. And why do you want to see it? What's, uh, where did you get this great idea? I'm 70. I don't think I'll have a second chance. Well, get him a cup of coffee, Adam. Sorry. Here you go, sir. There's lots more Poundstone Institute to come today, but when our show does end, we don't want you to get bored and end up talking to your kids or something. So let's hear about something else you can listen to later. I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Stephen Thompson. There's more stuff to watch and read these days than any one person can get to. That's why we make Pop Culture Happy Hour. Twice a week, we sort through the nonsense, share reactions, and give you the lowdown on what's worth your precious time and what's not. Find Pop Culture Happy Hour on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. Still to come, the results of our doodling survey. But first, it's time for the PPP, the Poundstone Personality Survey. Each week, we invite on an interesting person and ask them three probing questions. Then we run their answers through our extensive personality database and tell them a little more about themselves than they'd learn from your average fortune cookie. This week, our test subject directed the great Pixar movies Inside Out, Up, and Monsters, Inc. He's Pete Doctor, and because he's a doctor, we'll be asking our database to tell him what pharmaceutical product he'd be. Pete, welcome to the Poundstone Institute. Hey, thank you. Hi, Pete. <laughs> Hi. And I don't know if you know this, but my initials are PhD. My middle name is Hans. Well, I didn't know that. Did your parents yeah. do that on purpose? Well, my mom says no, my dad says yes. <laughs> yeah, my initials are PAP, and they did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, maybe can I ask you a question? Is it possible, could I get a, an honorary PhD from the Institute? Well, depending on how the personality survey goes. Right. Okay. Well, it's always been a dream of mine to receive a doctorate without doing any actual work. <laughs> so. Oh, you yeah. Can be, you can finally be Dr. Doctor. Yes, exactly. Hey, Pete, you know what? Um, when you direct an animated film, uh -huh. um, let's be honest, you're not really telling people where to stand on, on, on the set. Well, you sort of are. I mean, you're working with animators, and it's similar to working with uh, actors. And I get to work with real actors, too. Like, well, like you, Paula. Well, yeah, by the way. Uh, I, I played in Inside Out. I, I was very lucky enough to, to get a very small role. I was uh, Forgetter Paula, which I don't think was a coincidence. <laughs> uh, the, the story in Inside Out takes place a lot in the brain of a little 11-year-old girl. And I work in the brain. I do the forgetting. And I tried to encourage Pete to do a sequel where the girl has amnesia so I can be in it more. <laughs> I, 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 hey, by the way, do you doodle? Oh, yeah. That's our survey question today. Do you doodle? I do. I, I'm drawing right now just to keep my mind occupied. Really? <laughs> you know what? Wait, no, no, no. Uh, Pete, you totally have to send that to us. Oh, we'll right. put it on our Facebook page. No, okay. I think that last comment gets you a little bit further away from your PhD, I'll tell you that. <laughs> what are you doodling, Pete? What are you, what, what are you doodling? Well, right now I'm drawing a pirate. I don't know why. I've never understood why pirates are considered, like, fun kid things. No, I don't, it's, I don't they're, really. they're, they're lawless thieves. Yeah. Uh, driving someone some... else's boat, usually. Someone to look up to? I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't see them as admirable yeah. figures. Um, now, you know, I, lo I loved when you were on the Academy Awards, you talked about uh, the importance of drawing. Oh. Why did you turn to drawing when you were a kid? Well, you know, my parents are musicians, and they dragged us to a lot of concerts, like classical music concerts. And I really credit that uh, for my cartooning uh, ability, because I would grab all the programs and draw on them uh, during the concerts. 
and imagine, you know, what would happen if the cello exploded or the, <laughs> something like, you know, just kind of exercise your brain. Yeah. So a lot of your creativity was fueled by anger at classical music. <laughs> well, probably not so much anger as boredom. I think boredom is an, it's an important thing. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think kids should be bored more. Yeah. I try to b- bore my kids all the time. Yeah, I did really well by my kids in that regard. Well, then, because your brain steps up and goes, all right, how do I make this interesting, right? And then suddenly you're thinking of jokes and you're writing and you're creating, so. Well, on that, it's really fun to hear about your work, Pete, but we have a serious scientific purpose for you today. So uh, with your permission, we're going to run you through the Poundstone Personality Survey, and because you're Pete Doctor, we will tell you what drug you'd be. All right. I'm ready, Adam. Okay, question number one. You are packing for a 10-day trip, Pete Doctor, but you've got a small suitcase and room for only one of the following. Do you bring nine days of underwear, nine days of toothpaste, or nine days of pants? I would go underwear. Underwear? Yeah. So it's more important to you to have nine days of underwear than nine days of pants. Well, because I could wear the pair of pants that I'm wearing now. Right, that's smart. And toothpaste? (laughs) I don't know what nine days of toothpaste looks like. <laughs> I figure worst case, I can chew on a sock or something, kind of clean off my teeth. All right, Pete, question two. Do you want okay. the good news first or the bad news? Uh, I'll go for the bad news first because I like to leave on an uptick. Yeah, that's what I would say, too. Yeah. Yeah. There is no you good have... news and bad news. That was just the question. It was just a, it, okay. if we had good news and bad news, <laughs> which would you? That's exactly how I do it. Yeah. Okay, good. I see. I, I, I take the good news first and leave. Oh, good thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you no, take you the good news first and then just stick your fingers in your ears. <laughs> Absolutely. And say, I don't hear anything you say. All right, Pete, question number three. Uh, you can choose one movie to be the only movie you get to watch for the rest of your life. What is it? Oh, boy. You can say one of your own, by the way. There's no shame in that. (laughs) No, I'd probably go for Dumbo. Dumbo? Dumbo, And actually, I did watch that for about two years when my son was little, every day. Oh, yeah. Um, And it still didn't get old, so I'd probably go for that one. I love Dumbo, although it's so damn sad. Well, just that one part. know a lot of it, Pete. (laughs) Is it possible that you watched it for two years and you didn't understand it? (laughs) All right, Adam, let's get the results for Pete. Right, okay, Pete, I'm going to feed your responses into the database here, and it is going to spit out a state-of-the-art personality profile. Wow, sounds just like our computers at Pixar. Yeah, very much so. We stole them. Okay. (laughs) Here you go, Paula. Here are the results. Ah, interesting. You are phenophthalian, robaxin, and derenium. Is that right? Derenium? Is that how you say that? Derenium? I would, yeah. Okay. You may not know what those drugs do, but that's okay. Neither do the people who make them. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. What does matter is they have interesting side effects. This is totally true. They turn a person's pee purple, green, and blue. And just as those drugs bring a rainbow of delights out of us, you've put a rainbow of delights into us with your wonderful films. Pete Doctor, ladies and gentlemen. Pete Doctor directed the Pixar films Up, Inside Out, and others. Pete, thank you so much for joining us on the Institute. Thank you for having me. Hey, good news, Paula. Yet another business is willing to risk everything by being associated with us. Let's thank them. Yeah, we want to thank Juice Beauty. 
whose founder, Karen Banky, believes that women shouldn't have to choose between their beauty and their health. I totally agree. I've been forced to choose health for years. Juice Beauty is radically transforming the chemistry of beauty with luxurious, high-performance skincare and vibrant plant pigment makeup formulated with antioxidant-rich certified organic ingredients. Every organic drop feeds your skin. Feeds your skin? I didn't know you had to feed your skin. It's like having another kid. Next thing you know, it'll want to do after-school sports. Find your clean skincare or makeup solution by signing up for emails on juicebeauty.com and enjoy a special offer with your first order. Hey, if you're in LA and you've already lost most of your family in the La Brea Tar Pits, come visit us at the Institute. For ticket information, go to poundstoneinstitute.org. Also, to keep up with all the catastrophes going on here at the Institute, follow us on Twitter at PoundstoneInst. All right, well, the results are in, and once again, the question we asked our audience today is, do you doodle? And we asked you to draw a bit of your typical doodle on the page so we could see what it looks like. All right, so we've crunched the numbers. Paula, it turns out 70.4% of this audience are doodlers. I think it's a hell, do you think? That's a lot. Now, do you want to take a look at it and see if you can describe a few of these to our audience? This one here uh, is uh, an octopus with a happy face and, uh, and, a, uh, and a hat. Uh, I, w I wish I was uh, some sort of skilled um, uh, psychologist to know what this meant. Well, um, I actually did it in my uh, theory of sociology class uh, in college and that's really what I did the whole time I was in the class. I perfected that doodle that's on that This paper. was in your theory of sociology class? <laughs> oh, well, no, I put it in there because I wasn't paying attention. Oh, you weren't oh, paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you weren't paying attention in biology either. You only had seven <laughs> legs. <laughs> <laughs> what is your go-to doodle? This person writes random squiggles, lines, spirals while on hold on the phone. A and then they've drawn here, they've crossed out what they wrote and put doodle fail. <laughs> Jesus, imagine being that critical of yourself that you would cross out a doodle. <laughs> All right, what is your go-to doodle? Um, this person has drawn a, uh, uh, it looks like kind of a gigolo kind of a guy. A gigolo? Yeah, who, who, who drew the little gigolo fellow? Uh, 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 so you usually draw this guy? I do. Yeah, yeah. and uh, does he have like adventures or it's always just the same face? It's kind of the same, it's really like the twirly mustache I think is the part that. Yeah, it's, that is nice. <laughs> um, and, and what do you do for a living, ma'am? Um, I'm a writer. What kind of a writer? Um, I write like memoir and you Some can short write stories. so many memoirs, ma'am. <laughs> personal essays, short stories. Personal essays? Mm -hmm. Where would I find one of your personal essays? Um, well, one was published in Chicken Soup for the Soul a couple months ago. Oh, wow. And what was your essay about? The chicken? Was it like a, like a depressing thing that you turned into a good thing? Well, kind of, it was a, I was in a dance recital, um, a tap dance recital, and I kind of blacked out a little bit. You blacked out during a tap dance recital? Kind of, yeah. Was it when you were a kid, or is it more no, recently? No, that was, it was recent. It was yeah. recent? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. were recently in a tap dance recital? <laughs> I was. And I, you got so scared you blacked out? <laughs> yes. Huh. And then I kind of had like, you know, I call it like PTTD, like post-traumatic tap disorder for a while, but I've- Post-traumatic post <laughs> tap disorder? Yeah. <laughs> 
where you would just freeze in a grocery store <laughs> aisle. And... Yeah, and it all comes back. You'd hear a woodpecker outside and it would just like trigger you. <laughs> just faint right away. What made you take, do you, so you take tap lessons? I do, yeah, yeah I take yeah. tap class. And, did, and did, w did you talk to your teacher after the fact, after the blacking out during the recital? <laughs> I did, I yeah. did, yeah. And what did they say? Well, he said, you know, it's not as bad as you thought it was, uh, but there was video. And it, <laughs> it, it, was. it was. It was as bad. Yeah. <laughs> Well, my notepad here is completely covered with doodles, so I guess it's time to wrap things up. The distinguished chair of the Poundstone Institute is Doug Berman. Our undistinguished chair is Ian Chillog. Our folding chair is Mike Danforth. Our chair apparent is Ken Lezebnik. Our chair Jordan is David Green. Our sunny in chair is Franny Kelly. Our chair Aristotle is Connie Bridgeford. Our King Louis XVI chairs are Steve Nelson and Anya Grundman. Special thanks to John Cohn and his pals at Southern California Public Radio, Erica Reddick, Bonnie Burns, and the folks at Nerd Melt. Our technical directors are Patrick Murray and Stephen Cologne. Our theme music is by Oakland's Californicorns. Live from the Poundstone Institute is produced by Urgent Haircut Productions in association with KPCC and is reluctantly distributed by NPR. You can visit us at poundstoneinstitute.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks to our head of research, Adam Felber. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week live from the Poundstone Institute. Serious? This is NPR?